Hello, welcome. This is Bullet Points. This is a Bullet Points podcast, and it's not even on our Patreon. Can you believe it? We're not even charging you money for this. Although you should give us money, patreon.com slash bullet points. Um, we are doing this because, A, we, we haven't done a podcast in a long time, and B, we are currently running a themed issue right now that... Well, I guess they're always kind of themed issues, but we're running a themed issue that's collecting some of the older articles that we like that all kind of deal with the environment and climate change in different ways. I think environment is maybe the kind of better, more accurate general catch-all for it. Um, so I should say I'm joined by Yusuf Cole. Hello, everybody. How are you, Yusuf? How are you doing? I'm great, you know, uh, despite the impending disaster of climate change, I feel good don't <laughs> for now. Don't, don't show your hand all at once. You know? <laughs> I, the first question I was going to ask our guest here is if... <laughs> Whether or not climate change is real. Yeah, do you believe in, in, in man-made climate change? Or is it just a pattern? Um, Imagine you yeah, invite so, someone on without like actually knowing that, and someone just turned around and was like, "No, it's all a hoax." And <laughs> yeah, you were like, like forced asked. to sit here for like an hour and a half, like talking to them. Boy, is my face red! <laughs> just, just ask a really softball question and just be like, "Actually, you'll find that at different periods of time, the weather can change quite erratically, completely naturally." <laughs> and uh, um, anyway, so I'm here idling in my SUV as I record this with the air conditioning <laughs> blasting. Naturally. Um, and with Yusuf to talk to, we're running four articles in this issue. And the first two on the first part of this, well, actually, no, I guess it's the first and last of the articles in terms of publication order. Um, but we're talking to freelance writers, Jay Costello and Kian Marr about their pieces on uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla and uh, Last of Us Part Two, respectively. So, hello, Jay. Hi, thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Uh, it's good to have you on here and to talk about these. Uh, Kian, how are you doing? Not too bad, how are you? Any better and I couldn't stand it. <laughs> 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 um, so I guess just to open things up with, I think, kind of a sort of basic introduction that'll let us kind of get into what the articles are about uh, on, you know, kind of a, a basic level here. Uh, I'll throw to Jay first and just kind of ask, uh, because when we approached writers for um, actually like all of the issues that these articles were drawn from, you know, we didn't reach out and say, you know, hey, can you write sort of about the environment in relation to these games? It was just sort of, you know, Jay, would you like to write something on Assassin's Creed? Kian, mm-hmm. would you like to write something on The Last of Us? So I'll throw to Jay first and just kind of ask, like, what, what was the kind of spark of playing, in your case, Assassin's Creed Valhalla and, and kind of coming up with the idea that you want to write... Um, for yours, sort of about the player's interaction with the environment that they're in. Yeah, so um, the thing that got me straight away was the... um, So obviously, uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla is set in the UK, uh, specifically in sort of 
Midlands and East uh, sort of England. Um, and I always grown up, I, I grew up and I've always lived in the Midlands. And uh, there is in particular a uh, standing stone circle close to where I live called Mitchell's Fold. And it was in the game. And like, this is such a kind of, it's just a place that I really, really genuinely love. Um, and it's in the game and it's called, it's called My Soul's Fold in the game, which I think is based on like a previous, you know, an older name that we don't really know where it came from, but like, it is kind of, you know, accurate in that way. Uh, but when you go, <laughs> when you go to the, the circle in the, in the game itself, it's like this incredible, like miniature Stonehenge, uh, you know, it has these, um, these, you know, you know, at Stonehenge, they have the standing stones with the, with the lintel at the top. I can't remember the exact name, but like what the proper name of that is, <laughs> but, um, the hat. Yeah, exactly. The hat. That's what <laughs> the they stone, call it in archaeology. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, which is, you know, it's a very specific thing to Stonehenge. So seeing them here, I was like, oh, that's funny. And then, like, it's in this beautiful location, like, with this waterfall behind it. And I think it has, like, this moat put all around it as well. And it just looks so kind of magical in the game. And it just made me laugh so much because Mitchell's Fold, the real one, is, like, kind of, like, not that impressive at all. <laughs> and like I said, I love it so much. But, um sort of seeing the juxtaposition between those and just thinking like, oh, of course Ubisoft couldn't have just kind of a not very interesting location sort of on its face, you know? Um, it had to be like this magical sort of beautiful miniature Stonehenge. Um, and that kind of got me thinking about the game as a whole. And I was like, yeah, kind of everywhere in this, the whole landscape is is very, very beautiful, but very insubstantial um so that kind of just led me into what i wanted to write about and at the time i was also reading uh the robert mcfarlane book um i believe it's the old ways but i could be wrong because i've read and enjoyed a lot of his work um and i kind of like it just kind of put that into context for me um so obviously i use some quotes from him in the piece as well um and it just yeah that's kind of what got me really thinking about it as well yeah, um, that that was the one I remember. I just reread both the articles too, and I think that is the one that you reference in it. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's such a kind of interesting thing, though, and I think part of we were like, well, we should definitely have at least one writer who's familiar with you know the setting of the game. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you're a time traveler from ninth century, right? So, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> why not? Um, no, but we thought, you know, and this is before also, so apologies, Kian, uh, that we didn't get you for uh, Assassin's Creed. What was it called? It's like the Irish expansion. It was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rathed the And Ireland, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be fair, they also had and France, too, I think, oh, yeah. as well. Um, <laughs> But it's really interesting to me to kind of look at the idea of a landscape, um, which, and I, and I think in these games more so than some of the older Assassin's Creed's where they're doing this kind of open world thing and they are trying to, you know, condense a big geographical area into something smaller. So you do have the in-between 
you do have you know uh, fields and uh, natural landmarks as well as like uh, urban landmarks as well um, it was seemed interesting to me the idea of well if you are from this place I think you're going to react to it a little bit differently than someone who's just kind of seen it um, and, and kind of just saying oh yeah that scans as uh, various parts of the UK to me yeah you know that this this kind of looks like you know <laughs> like a prototypical sort of like midlands or I, I guess you go in the north as well and pretty far south like just like yeah these fields look right you know um and i wonder if you would like talk a bit more about kind of that idea of exploring this space that i mean it's complicated a bit too because the time period obviously is extremely different right mm-hmm. it's a millennium beforehand uh before the current day but kind of if there's like sort of a dissonance of seeing uh, a country that you're intimately familiar with and then exploring it in this way that as you note in the piece is kind of just like you know you're kind of almost ghostly just moving through this space (laughs) yeah so um actually i think um one thing which i i suddenly remembered when you were kind of talking about that is that um, a couple of months after I after that piece was published, I ended up moving from the West Midlands uh, to the East Midlands for a few months. And I was kind of like, oh, like this is a lot more like Assassin's Creed Valhalla. <laughs> and I remember thinking about it specifically because I was like, oh, it's kind of funny that like I made that whole, uh, like this whole piece came from thinking, wow, this is such an idealized kind of vision of England. Um, and you know working from that and then suddenly going somewhere which does look a lot more like it um but i think actually that informed my thinking on it more because i was like yeah it's um like it is this kind of like i i really didn't like living in the east midlands sorry to everybody who uh who does but it's it's because the sort of landscape there is a lot more uh frictionless in the same way that i didn't like about Assassin's Creed Valhalla you know like there is a lot more sort of open fields um a lot more like the the woodland is really really open in a way that I very much disliked in in Valhalla um you know with a lot of space between the trees like it suddenly kind of felt to me like oh yeah like okay maybe Valhalla was like really pulling on something that I hadn't experienced as much um but I think that it does that in a very specific way where it, like, there's a reason that's the idealized vision of England that they picked up on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot more, like, industrialized. It's, so it's funny you say, like, yeah, this is from, like, a millennia ago, but, like, the the way that the landscape is portrayed is so, like, 18th century <laughs> to me, you know, where there's, like, oh, yeah, these quaint little fields, but there's no, like thick hedgerows or like forests or like uh like moors and stuff which it's like so difficult to actually uh traverse um so yeah i think like you said uh what i talked about in the piece about the sort of way that you move through it like a ghost um is just like 
it just doesn't reflect my like what I really really love about where I live now and about other parts of the UK where it's like yeah this is actually like kind of uncomfortable to move through but that's how you actually interact with things and kind of have like this actual experience whereas otherwise you're just kind of walking on flat ground between these like wide open trees I don't know that's never been something that I really like and I think it's it's idealized by the game in a way that is um I mean now since I wrote that piece I've also done like some work on some like academic work on landscapes and um how they come to be very apolitical um hmm. or that they're seen as apolitical when they're clearly not <laughs> like there's a reason why all of these landscapes are so open and stuff and it's because of uh you know agricultural politics and and uh tourism politics and things like that um and so I think you know choosing to portray it in that way and obviously they they do it for gameplay reasons but it just makes it feel really insubstantial <laughs> yeah I, I mean something that always kind of stuck with me of whenever I was taking a course in university that was I took a lot of British and Irish history courses and I remember one of the it was like a first year course and you know sort of I think like 1066 to to 1603 or something like that like that period and they were like uh one of the early things was well to really make sense a lot of of a lot of what's going to happen here you have to think of and I think especially if you're you know in my case Canadian but I think you know like use of American and the you look at a map of the UK and Ireland and you think well this is tiny and I mean, when you go there, it, it, when you drive places, you are like, wow, everything is a lot closer together. But you look <laughs> at the landscape and you're like, okay, no, this, if you remember that in, you know, the 11th century or earlier in, in Valhalla's case, that it was tough to get around places. It informs a lot of, you know, there's obviously the huge element of geography and all history and how, uh, political events like transpire and how uh states form and everything and i think that was one thing that was so interesting about valhalla is it kind of presents this idea of it's like well why didn't the vikings just absolutely dominate the uk right like why didn't they do that a few hundred years earlier if it's like just a quick boat ride over and then you can just run from, <laughs> from like York you can to park, parkour and, across like, the island <laughs> yeah if you, you just parkour everywhere and it's uh and yeah and i think that does i mean there's a lot of i think flattening of of history in general in assassin's creed which is a big topic but i was yeah really struck by the idea of how you nailed uh just how the landscape is so yeah, how it, how it just doesn't really dig into how important it is to experiencing a place and to kind of understanding a place and that the intertwining of of uh, landscape and and politics. It's kind of it reminds me of playing it. I the the part very unsurprisingly that resonated with, resonated with me as an American was the part where you go to America. <laughs> I was like, enough of this England stuff. Oh yeah, back to America, Newfoundland. Wait, do you? Speaking of you being American, was it even America or was it? Oh, was it New? Was it or Vinland? Was it New? Yeah, that's Newfoundland. 
Oh yeah, yeah, New sorry, sorry, Canada. Excuse me. The Americas. The Americas. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> um, but but that part was great because you actually um, it you really f like. I wonder. Um, I wonder if it's because of like being more familiar with the history at my end and more and thinking more about like the passage of time and how, and how, how geography like looks different depending on like or just like how geography presents differently despite being the same thing without like, without human habitation or without like european habitation um and um in terms of like it being difficult to traverse like it felt that so much more in that section because you're trying to track down somebody and you're basically looking for them in this forested wilderness and don't actually know which direct necessarily you know you have a general idea of which direction they're in but you don't really have you can't just like stand on top of a hill and look uh across a river and see the castle which is i feel like is 80 percent of the valhalla content like where you kind of it doesn't feel as yeah. insurmountable but then in, in that one little chapter it really does feel like you're hunting through this um this sort of alien landscape um at least to the characters like that kind of being yeah. being outside of their domain and i think at the very beginning as well right mm -hmm. like um when you're in i want to say norway i'm not sure which scandinavian country it is but um I'm pretty sure it was um, norway Okay, <laughs> that was a good guess then. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, when you first start out and like there's all this knee deep snow you have to run through and I'm pretty sure if you fall in the water, like it kills you because it's so cold. <laughs> and it just yeah. feels so much more substantial and like they're actually using the environment for something more than a backdrop in a way that I really wish they had done, you know, in the actual main part of the game. Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter. We're going to do more articles about Death Stranding soon. So I've been replaying Death Stranding and then reading your article. And actually, just like these articles in general, too, you look at that as kind of a model of... Not to say every game should be... Uh, should make, like, just walking around as arduous as Death Stranding does. But when you look <laughs> at that as a thing of... Like, you know that weird little sort of, like, Iceland America that they made in that game by the time you're done. Like, you kind of know uh, all these, like, best ways to get over a mountain pass. And um, just sort of like, oh, this area here, like, empties out into this valley. And then there's a big river at this part, so you need to be careful. And it's... I think there is really something to be said, especially if you're maybe trying to model something true about a place um that you do kind of embrace the landscape as a little bit more than just like a painting you know yeah um Kian, do you have any thoughts about that as as well especially considering like i was wondering you know it has what cities does it have it has dublin in that ireland expansion but like do do you have any thoughts on this considering that it does at least you know i know uh ireland isn't well represented in video game settings <laughs> so um you know it was it's been a while since i played uh Wrath of the druids but i did enjoy it a lot more than 
many other people seem to and I think that that probably did have to do with the fact that it was familiar to me and you know it was pretty cool to see how much you know evident work uh, Ubisoft had done to actually get certain parts of it right like there are certain parts of Ireland in the modern day that are in different parts of the country than they would have been in the ninth century like the same name but they're like you know mm. 100 kilometers further south and they actually accurately represented a lot of that to the extent that actual Irish people were complaining saying oh my god they don't even know where that is and I was like actually they're right it used to be down there um, but yeah I don't know I mean I think that um, a lot of what Jay wrote in their piece on Valhalla for bullet points is also still really you know it's still present in Wrath of the Druids like you know it is a very sort of frictionless version of Ireland which in the ninth century should have been extremely rough and rugged um so I mean if you want to critique it on like a granular level about how that works then as Jay also said I mean like you know a lot of that is done to kind of streamline the gameplay and you know make it more like you know make, make it easier to get from one, one part of the map to another but it's it's definitely still a big issue there um, there is again like in Jay's piece like you know there's, there's a lack of like you know that kind of bristle um it, it was funny because like I reread Jay's piece today and like it, not to sort of um change to a different game or plug my favorite game for no reason but I think that <laughs> Assassin's Creed Valhalla like does a pretty poor job in some ways of emulating a lot of the things that the Witcher treated interestingly with that kind of like mm. you know large fantasy open world in that I think The Witcher 3, to a large extent, does kind of resist you a lot more. And there's, there's that great point in Jay's piece about how games can't, like, you know, evoke certain senses, like, you know, smell or taste. Or, like, you know, they can be tactile to an extent, but, like, you know, they can't emulate touch in, in a particularly accurate way beyond, like, you know, haptic feedback and stuff like that. I think that The Witcher is, like, kind of, no, like, figures out some ways to kind of get around that. Um, in that, obviously, like, you know, it's not doing that weird, like rumored Kojima game thing where he wanted to just to smell like blood or anything like that when you died but like it is not it does not have these like meta sensory things but at the same time I think that through like various systems like alchemy and stuff like that it forces you to engage with different like roots and flowers and little you know likely smelly bits of monsters and stuff like that and really like kind of gets you to engage with these various things in ways that would make you kind of at least have some idea of like you know what they would feel like or smell like or you know i mean i, I get like i mentioned bits of monsters i'm sure you probably wouldn't want to eat them but like you know the different kind of <laughs> sensory things um but yeah like you know i think that wrath of the druids kind of lacks a lot of that and that um you know it, historically it's really really interesting um but you know in terms of sort of that bristle i think that it's it's still very much lacking there if not even more so because the map is smaller and stuff like that and um i think that the map is probably less varied it's really cool because there are kind of parts that resist you a bit more like up in the northeast with the giant's causeway and stuff like that but you know kind of very much suffers from the same issues i think ultimately yeah yeah they also put the giant's causeway in every video game now which is <laughs> a piece i think it's a piece that three i mean we're all freelancers someone should just grab it because it's in every fucking video game now i think it's like the the basalt columns are just really like aesthetically pleasing though aren't they yeah they look yeah. great <laughs> and you just see them in everything i think like i think the latest halo has it's pretty much all of it like all the the rock faces are all uh 
you know, the staggered columns. There are some that are doing really um, well, like the Storm Coast and Dragon Age Inquisition is really, really nice. That's one I remember, I think. Uh, yeah, I think, well, when I went to the UK and Ireland, I, I think it was the year that came out. So then I was like really on the, I noticed them and then I kept noticing <laughs> them. <laughs> I feel like maybe there was like some like team of art leads from every game studio were like there with me and they were like yeah okay this is a good one <laughs> let's start putting this and everything i thought you were going to say too kian about the witcher i think one of its biggest accomplishments when you talk about you know the the role i think elements of of art direction in general can play towards giving you that sense of um the, the natural environment being something a lot more present than just like kind of a skybox or something in the witcher i think they do a great job of uh and and a lot of it is just technical but when a storm rolls in in the witcher uh three you feel it it's you know the the grass starts swaying and the way the light changes um before it actually starts storming and everything is is something that's very uh you can kind of smell um you can almost imagine you kind of smell the ozone when when the storm's about to break out and and the smell of like the the moisture in the air um but yeah yeah i think so uh, I was, oh sorry i was just gonna say i think the witcher's already been, been pretty good at that because uh even in the first one if i remember correctly um in terms of just like you mentioned the skybox there like i think the first one actually had um birds on display and stuff like that like that, that like which in 2007 for uh, a game made for you know relatively cheap budget was extremely impressive at the time um i didn't play it till years later but i think they've always been kind of good at kind of eliciting that kind of feeling in the witcher i also think that like i had in my notes earlier on that um i, I mean this point is obviously ridiculous and like, i don't know what i was thinking when i put it down but i was like oh fall damage in the witcher as well like you know if you it's it's so annoying uh about how you fall from like two feet and like do damage to yourself but if you did like trip over a rock and something in real life, I'm sure you would actually really hurt yourself. So maybe fall damage in The Witcher is like this, like secretly really, really like you know, like new age um, way of accomplishing that bristle that Jay brought up. You know, like maybe we should just like make fall damage super severe in every RPG. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's also part of that you know it's along the lines of the Death Stranding thing. It's it's well there are consequences to moving. If you tr- if you trip and fall on your baby, you'll have a bad time. <laughs> well, you'd have a much worse time than in than if it was encased in a whatever that the BB holder is made of um, Art- artificial embryo uh, uterus, whatever it is. God, um, I was I was going to ask it, actually. Oh, sorry, I don't know. I mean, continue your thought. No, no, I I was just going to say the the one thing it did make me think was that so much of what's considered like kind of blanket considered good design i think kind of reflexively are a lot of these things that are that take away that sense of presence or you know um in in the quote in jay's piece the 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 bristle you know is that encumbrance is bad i don't want to have to deal with too many with my character moving slowly when they're carrying too much shit even though they're carrying like 300 pounds of trinkets and weapons and armor like in their pockets um and that was definitely a thing when, you know, when walking simulators were um a f- more of a trend like every every time one came out everyone would complain that there wasn't this run button or a sprint button 
It's like, why can't I run as fast as the Doom guy in this walking simulator? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like everybody's gone to the rapture. I remember that was a big thing. They're like, you're telling me this meditation on the end of the world in a little, <laughs> like, uh, this, this person isn't just like sprinting from point A to point B. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry, Yusuf, what were you going to say though? Um, yeah, no, I, th- I think I was like looking at parts of of Jay's essay and thinking about like, especially like the end where you're kind of talking about um, like how it how the game's smoothing of of England re- like reflects the actual passage of of history, um, which is kind of interesting because in the game itself, like the rough parts are really like the ruins of Rome, like. It, like the kind of the the half destroyed coliseums and like aqueducts aqueducts and stuff like are like that's kind of an evidence of 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 that's like that feels like an evidence of time passing in a really strong way and i and i know with the you mentioned that with the with the stonehenges um there's like they also get worse over time like they get more decrepit as if they're not taken care of um if but it almost feels like the game doesn't have like the tools to move beyond representing like like representing time in the way of like things getting things not getting or things not looking as perfect as as a picture book which is what happens in like in the version you're playing the version that it presents us it's not showing us like a post post like this pe- time period or like it was, if it makes sense like it's not like it's, it's able to show us like the roman ruins but it's not able to show us time moving beyond that yeah it feels like um I, like i mentioned earlier it feels like it kind of jumps straight from like oh the romans have left and you know there's these ruins but we've jumped straight to like this sort of uh, romantic era like capital a romantic uh depiction of the uk um mm. without like obviously like i don't know i just think an actual (laughs) an actual representation of that time passing you know where there are the ruins but there's also kind of the environmental change that would come with that you know i think that would have been a really interesting way of depicting that actual time period as well yeah like some evidence of like humanity's like influence on the world like it's because like what which i mean this is not this is probably historically accurate just the idea of people living within the ruins of like another civilization is interesting. Like it is really cool. Like that that's the part of the game that, that I remember the most. Where it's like yeah. people it feels like people are squatting, um, versus like actually creating their own civilization. Um and which is also also the, you see that in Origins as well. Um and that stuff is really cool. But then it's like yeah, it's not it just fails to like make the some kind of next leap into like like what like because like you're you're doing the you're doing the the work of of settling essentially in throughout the game but the actual like those mechanics are just lifted from every like open world game in a way that's really dull where you're just like <laughs> build the fishing hut build the tanning hut build the assassin's hut and then you just kind of wander around and get drunk but it's like there's not yeah there's there's yeah there's no friction there is no like interrelation between your character and your settlement and then the rest of england besides just the conquering 
the 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 turning one flag into another like it, you don't like the history isn't happening actively well I, w I wonder if this this might be a good segue into Kean's piece as well but that makes me think too of how kind of in a sense clean even though Valhalla I think wants to try to show well you have to go to these where it almost has these like sagas within the overarching plot of the game where it's like Ivar going to these different regions and different kingdoms and essentially like you know getting them on board and each one kind of plays out as its own story within the larger story um, but I wonder sometimes if an open world game has a problem with portraying chaos in the larger sense too because when you look at the environment and you look at that time period that they're modeling you know it's not it's like an extremely chaotic time um there's how many kingdoms in in what's now the uk there you know like you have all of these different warring peoples and they're a lot of times fighting over access to land right like they're fighting mm -hmm. over access to pasture and to farmland and you know it, it you don't get that impression when you play that game you get the impression that it is sort of like this like uh jay was saying like this romantic vision of the uk as a uk that always existed that oh okay it was uh the romans were there and we don't really know who was there before then let's not worry too much about it i guess it was britain's um and then it was anglo-saxon and then the vikings came and there you go like you know dust your hands off we're done um and i think when you kind of look at a lot of open world games they do kind of simplify things into these kind of basic like faction type thing and coloring in the map and you know in valhalla it's like what's your power level are you powerful enough to fight someone from york you know <laughs> god forbid a pict if you if you go too far north um but then you look at something like the last of us and i think maybe because when you have sort of like a more directed you know linear experience then maybe you're allowed to have more direct artistic control about showing chaos in a sense like thinking about keen's piece and thinking about how can you do a really good job of arguing for that over the course of these games and in the last of us part two in particular you kind of look at the infected as well now they're no longer these strange zombie things they're basically um like humanoid mushrooms that are just part of the ecosystem now and you do have this sense of like well maybe nature is evolving into something different that's a lot less clean and easy to systematize than uh than an open world game would maybe demand of it um anyway I'll, i guess i'll ask you to get into it a little bit sort of what your starting point was as well kind of the same question that i asked jay about what was sticking out to you from the game that that made you want to get into the focus that you had for your article yeah um when you asked jay that earlier on i was trying to think back to like you know what the origin point for me doing that was and i couldn't like remember exactly like you know what originally gave me that idea 
I think it probably had something to do with, um, I mean, the previous piece I'd done for Bullet Points was on the tension between, you know, romanticism and modernity in Death Stranding. And um, mm-hmm. I think in general, like, you know, um, when I was at college and stuff, like, you know, I spent a lot of time studying kind of uh, romantic literature, like the, the romantic poets and stuff like that. And I think that it's interesting that when you were speaking about Valhalla there earlier on, you did use romantic as an adjective for it in, in a way. And I think that romantic with a capital or at least like, you know, one of the things that and games like The Last of Us Part Two and Death Stranding get right about depicting that is it's not necessarily like you know these like pristine or clean images in in any sense of the word it's more like you know they're sublime and awe-inspiring in that they're not just like beautiful or anything like that they they can also be like you know quite scary and imposing and i think um the last was part two's imagery is like kind of displays like a fundamental understanding of that in that you know, there are lots of scenes in the game that, look, you know, look really nice and stuff. But I think that stuff like the clickers and shamblers and bloaters are like no less romantic than, you know, all the greenery that you see in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, are actually arguably much closer to it than, you know, we are. And and I suppose the other side of wanting to write about that was that I think there's been so much great writing on like, you know, violence in The Last of Us and like you know how you know the, the core theme of the game is how cycles of violence perpetuate themselves um, and you know people are of different opinions about that some people think it's handled really well I know a lot of people thought that the second game was way too violent um, and I think you know, like, you know all those opinions are really valid but like one thing I didn't see many people really looking into was the difference between violence against the infected and like you know violence between humans and I think that um that's like a really interesting thing to kind of zoom in on because in the second game violence against the infected is like no longer really necessary um like you have like societies and communities like jackson where they're essentially self-sustainable i mean like you know they have like you know a patrol that like goes out and makes sure that like you know there are no hordes of infected getting too near or anything like that which is understandable but beyond that like it's not as if they need to like go out they're scavenging for luxury items a lot of the time, you know? Like, they want, like, you know, vintage trading cards. And, like, it, like in The Last of Us Part 2, you literally go to get, like, guitar strings, I think. Um, <laughs> like, you, you've gone beyond, like, needing to get, like, you know, food and stuff like that now because you can grow your own. And I think that people kind of start to use, like, you know, killing the infected nearly as, like, justification for the fact that they are also, like, you know, largely killing each other. I know Yusuf's piece was brilliant on it about how we talked about the first game was like you know about outside whereas the second game moves within these new communities and then by extension it also like you know goes to this like intra-community level um but i think that like you know the tension between all that stuff and you know the actual largely romantic imagery that's kind of like you know very heavily imbued in all these like urban cityscapes like you know the post-apocalyptic seattle and stuff like that the, the, there's a lot to unpack there um, I mean I think my piece was like two and a half thousand words long I don't think I even like you know got to begin to <laughs> talk about like you know all the all, all the stuff that could you know be discussed at a great length about that you know I think I think uh, like we're counting or like you just while you're talking about this is yeah I totally agree I think it's and, and it, was, it was also it, it was making me think a lot about how how good it is a piece for our climate month without actually like getting too deep into like um climate 
change. Like it's actually it like there is a point being made there about in terms of how people react to the game where yeah, like no one bats an eye at the violence being done to nature. Um and that is literally where we are. Like all of our discussions in the news sphere, in the social media sphere are uh you know, understandably focused on on what's happening between humans, but at the same time, we're, we are largely ignoring the impossible to, to fathom uh, like title changes that will completely change our world and make it unrecognizable. But, so, but we can't, but like to even talk about that, it feels like there's an impasse in the way. Um, and, the, and it's almost like you're kind of not, you're kind of like, or for some, for, to, begin speaking about it there this seems like it's just like really difficult to get there and it'd be partially it's because like it's so much easier to kind of get uh stuck in the internet in like in the like um in the human drama that is that like that kind of dominates our our thoughts and our and our discussions mm-hmm i mean I, I think part of the reason I thought also it would be good to have uh, both of you, Jay and Kian, on this one as well, is I thought both your pieces also kind of argue in, in different ways, but share a similar theme of essentially saying, look at the world around you that maybe you <laughs> just sort of like, you take for granted a little bit. Um, you know, the idea that in, in both your pieces, when... I, I really like the the scene that you draw on Kian where you're you're talking about that scene in The Last of Us Part Two where uh Ellie and is his name Tommy? Tommy, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I think they're out hunting and they're they're sort of across this chasm and I remember the scene and you just see the infected kind of just doing their thing. Um they're too far away and, and you point this out and it's really good, Kian, that you can't hear them. So you don't hear that clicking noise they make which is upsetting to hear <laughs> um and and so they do i think the image you draw is uh oh christ who is it the daffodils uh words are yeah, yeah 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 and you know it's it's the same with jays as well there are both ways of after reading those of thinking about these games and it's sort of it's also a way of looking at the world in general of of thinking about the things that you're just you're not just walking across the field you're kind of interacting with something that isn't just you know it's not concrete this is something that is alive as well and and that warrants more consideration than we than we typically view the the natural world as just a resource for us yeah and i want to correct myself a little bit because keen correctly pointed out that i used romantic slightly wrong <laughs> um oh what i, I, I meant didn't by mean that to do that more... at all <laughs> no well no you were right don't worry <laughs> Um, what I meant by that was more of like the appropriation of romanticism, um, which I think is more of a modern thing, um, where, you know, I, I'm thinking of an example used by Barbara Bender in her book, uh, which I think is called Making Stonehenge, uh, which I read after this piece, but like fits so well. <laughs> so I was kind of glad that it kind of backed up what I'd written, um, where she talks about the countryside as an intercity rail poster, you know. 
and it's mm. just this advertisement for people moving between cities like oh come and see this beautiful field like blue sky like you know the lone tree which you can sit under for shade and that kind of thing um so like what you were saying read about it being an invitation to like look at what's around you i think for me um it's always about like looking at what is around you rather than like the idealized version of it um so right. yeah i just <laughs> i thought that was a good opportunity to correct myself <laughs> but also <laughs> like uh yeah just shout out to barbara brenda honestly like such mm. very influential over my thinking about this kind of thing well yeah like how much time do we spend thinking about um yeah like you're saying the between cities like you're you're going through you know in yusuf like new york state um is pretty similar to like southern ontario you spend a lot of time when you're driving to like see some friends or family in a different city you're you just look out your window at these things that are you know uh the natural landscape as this barrier or you look at it and go oh boy those those fields of wheat look really nice like it, they're being used and then you look at oh here's this area that's being dug up to be turned into a industrial park or something right like it's it's this way of i think very easily slipping into a world where we're slipping into a mindset where you know and I, and I think that's natural to a certain extent for humans to to look at our environment and think about how we can shape it to be what we want it to be but you know obviously we're at a point where that mindset has run amok for the last you know at least few hundred years in really drastic ways um and has to be thought of differently not as not in this utilitarian sense like also in in Keen's piece it's like why do you have to kill a new ecosystem just because if you get close to it it's dangerous it's the same thinking as you know people coming to uh a new ecosystem and wiping out uh, native species in it because it's potentially dangerous even though it's fine like a snake or something if you just leave it be uh, and, and i think those are both really valid and important things to pull out of these games that are uh really change the way you look at them you know and and i think that last of us reading as well really enriches that game so much in terms of being like oh yeah this is more than like almost what the humans are doing is almost if you kind of take this as taking place in what like the 2030s let's say at this point there's probably an actual date um it's like this is probably the best thing that could have happened to us in the grand scheme of things <laughs> if there was like a horrible <laughs> infection that um that's the, actually it's a horrible way of putting it but <laughs> in, in terms of staving off like the end of our species it's you know it's having this drastic change in kind of the trajectory of of the natural world right now would be a good thing um, oh god that, that, that yeah, reminds me of people saying like the, the, pan, the, pandem no, the pandemic was good for um for the and for environmentalism i heard myself <laughs> saying that and i was like that's not i'm not, I'm not supporting that that's uh, uh it's staying in you're canceled what was it like a <laughs> It's like a duck, like in Venice or something. You're like nature is healing. <laughs> Humanity was the virus, the real virus. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess both things can be true, right? It's like, it's fine. I mean, yeah. It's not wrong, but it's also like, yeah, that's just a reflection of, of like, our, of our, like, species-centric way of seeing everything, where it's about our own issues, our own dramas, and not about uh, the way the world is changing. Like, there, this there's like a I just like picture like the backdrop of the game like you know those like videos they do sometimes where they hack the games and take the camera away from the player character and move it somewhere else it's like what if you just set the camera next to like one of the uh nesting mushroom people and they're just chilling and you just see like Ellie run by really fast screaming about something (laughs) like it just then it kind of fades off into silence again like a nature documentary um, God, you could make such a good video like that. I would so watch that. Because they all, have, yeah, they have their, their, yeah, they have their routines and their cycles, and like there is like, yeah, absolutely like a vibrant natural world that is, that's evolving apart from um, our own world, which is dying in the game. You know, you're seeing two, one world die and one world get born. Yeah, and I think you look at things i think kian did it it was very smart to point out because it's uh sticks in your head is the most grotesque thing in that game the uh the rat king is that what he's called yeah (laughs) what it is called the like sort of collection you find it in the the parking uh yeah it's the parking garage beneath the hospital is that right yeah it's yeah that that scene is very kind of grisly um I, I, I doubt anyone kind of forgot that because that that's like I, I still remember like you know the first time you play that once you realize what's going on when it's like you know dividing itself into sep- separate bodies like it's just but then again like you know it's it, it's displaying an adaptation to its new surroundings that we don't have like you know it's kind of it, it's at home in that in that like you know it is um um like a car park as you said beneath the hospital but like you know it's there are all these like bulbs on the walls and like you know all the kind of corridors are cramped because of all these growths and spores and like you know it's made it into its own habitat like you know to us it seems like a completely alien environment because it largely is but then you know our natural response to that is like you know this is disgusting and this is horrible but also we've no reason to be there um i know abby actually falls down she doesn't like you know abby doesn't go there on purpose like she's in the hospital on purpose obviously but yeah that 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 scene is like but also yeah like i mean it's uh, i think it's a really valuable I, I think that scene is as valuable to consider in terms of like you know the game's depiction of violence as like you know the more the ones that are discussed all the time which are often like you know human against human um i think that they kind of like you know inform each other yeah absolutely and the point you make in there too which is again it's alien to the anthropomorphic viewpoint of you're talking about well if you shoot off part of this conglomerate horrifying mushroom beast it is communicating still with you know the various parts of itself as they kind of you know it's a worm cut in half continues to to move around in two different halves but this one is its own little society it's a it's like a fungal colony that that is existing and it's it's living in this space and it's not going out and 
you know, like human sort of uh, uh, taking over places and, and um, kind of bending the things that live there to its will is, is just sort of, it's like, yeah, it's, it's made this place its home, this horrible mushroom dungeon. <laughs> that, that we don't like but yeah like it's, it's there uh it's very like that kind of flood hive mind in halo which i think i mentioned in the piece um but it, yeah it is that thing where as you say like you know even after it's kind of split up like physically you can still communicate like you know it's various parts can communicate with one another and that i think that was like a quite an interesting adaptation to have given the rat king um but yeah, the, the, I mean, the, listen, the, 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 there's so many, like, things about, in particular, um, like, the uh, earlier on when you mentioned it, um, I, I did want to speak about it as well, because there was, in that scene that you mentioned earlier on, when Tommy and Ellie are, like, across the chasm, um, I, I forgot to actually reply to this earlier, um, I think that, that that is probably... Because that's a precursor to the Rat King, because it's in the first half of the game before you see anything like that. But I think that it is like a very. What am I trying to say here? Retroactively, I think it's a very important scene to consider because that is when you see the, the game almost wants you to, having prior, like existing knowledge of the first Last of Us, the game wants you to think that you have a handle on this now. You know, like the, the first few times you're in this, like, you know sort of walled off community um, everything seems safe and again like you're going after these kind of luxury items now because you can afford to and across the chasm like you know the clickers are far away you made the point that you can't hear them anymore and then you know later on in the game you see this like completely new adaptation and I think that that's kind of designed to show how it's really really divided into two sections now where these closed off communities are where we belong now and the the world at large, especially cities that we used to occupy, are not ours anymore. Um, mm, mm-hmm. And I think that that is one of the when you when you were looking at sort of the humans versus um, infected like kind of dichotomy in the, in the Last of Us Two in particular. I think that that's the fundamental thing that like you know we need to understand first and foremost is just that it is very very clearly divided into the, to to show that like you know ninety nine percent of the world is essentially no longer inhabitable. Um, but the Rat King, yeah, is like is like you know the king like you know prime example of that um because i mean like you know if you see that like you know that that's just one kind of mysterious new thing we see like we, we don't like if there is hypothetically like you know another last of us game or whatever like it, you can only imagine like if that exists what else can and i think the last of us part two is like good to demonstrate the restraint not to go too far beyond that because i think once you meet the rat king you're kind of like holy shit like what else is out there that was very disjointed, yeah. but I think that I started speaking before I actually knew what I was saying. So, <laughs> no, no, I, <laughs> I completely, I completely get you. I think too, it made me think of realistically when you're talking also about in in this, because in the first Last of Us game, it's it's everything is, you know, you see the very beginning of this outbreak and and the beginning of all this this new world that's very zombie outbreak fashion and then you see kind of this very basic setup that they've managed to create where they're essentially just trying to survive like you were saying they're trading ration cards for just food and shelter and clean water that seems to be most of what they want and in the last of us 2 it's it's moved beyond that where they have these towns um 
where people are living uh, relatively comfortably and they just want more. And I think when you when you talk about these things, it's like, yeah, this part of the world isn't inhabitable anymore. And you could really see, I think, that wouldn't last. You know, the idea is probably that if you went forward another 50 years or something in, in Last of Us time, uh, it would be a process of wiping out this new kind of evolution, this new species, and kind of taking back uh, all of the land that was possible to be used by humans, regardless of anything else, regardless of what kind of strange, possibly frightening creatures are inhabiting it. Um, yeah, I was kind of, I was wondering as well when to circle back to Jay for a second too, because this made me think about it. When you see something like The Last of Us, and I think it does do a good job of, I have many qualms with that game, but I do think it, the way it kind of models um, the natural world as something other than just kind of a, a very basic like backdrop to everything. I wonder if in kind of the sense of what you're talking about in your article with Assassin's Creed Valhalla, if there is, if there are games that you would point to as, as something that's at least close to kind of having that, that kind of friction that you're talking about, that if there's something that you think kind of points to, points in the direction of, of the sort of thing you're, I don't want to say advocating for because that's, I don't think... <laughs> That I'm interested in. Yes, that's much better. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I haven't played Death Stranding, but I feel like that's the obvious answer. Um, I think that what Kim was saying about The Witcher 3 is really, really interesting, and I definitely agree with that. Um, I haven't played that game for a long time, but um, the way that he and you were describing it, it, it brought that kind of back to me. Um, but I feel like other games i can't think of any off the top of my head and i'm bound to think of something in like an hour i'm gonna be like damn i wish yeah. i said that. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no it's fine um i know um yeah the the thing that is coming to mind is um not exactly the same but i was talking with somebody recently about games that kind of just drop you into the world and um and give you a map to get around. Um, and I think those are a really interesting way of like having the environment be a big part of the game itself. So things mm. like Firewatch, obviously that is a very sort of idealized environment itself, but it, it gives you a way to interact with it that isn't just like, oh, I'm going to this other city and I'm running through all these trees and like nothing is in my way, you know? Um, so that's the closest thing that I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> I guess, um, yeah, like Breath of the Wild has some of that as well, of that kind of, you learn that geography based on, mm. you know, how it helps and hinders you as you, you know, how it kind of pushes back against you. Or, yeah, that's true. Or pulls you along a little bit. I was going to ask that's in that. Jade, I know uh, following in Twitter, you do a lot of... of Hiking? Yeah. Is that what it is? <laughs> like uh, mul <laughs> multi-day journeys? 
yeah. Um, I would like to hear more about that. I mean, then in terms of like also how that influences like your your writing as well. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's a great question. So I started doing a lot more hiking in around 2020. Um, partly because of lockdown, partly because in 2018 and 19, I was uh, in a lot of physiotherapy for my legs. So <laughs> after that, I was like, great, I'm gonna like use this and keep walking. Um, and I think um, it definitely like informs my writing in terms of like, I love to write about place in games and in general. Um, because of that experience, like for me, walking is about being in a place and very much about sort of interacting with it in that way that I talked about, you know, I wish I could do this in Valhalla kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so it definitely inspired the piece in that way. And also, um, you know, just spending a lot of time outdoors. And, and that was a lot when I was growing up as well. Like both of my parents are ecologists. So like we were always outside every weekend. <laughs> um, so that was a lot more of like the landscape, especially the local area. But um, yeah, it's interesting. How does it inspire my writing in general? Like I have been thinking recently a lot about the kind of interplay between being very online and also touching a lot of grass <laughs> because those are presented as like opposites. Whereas for me, they're pretty intertwined. Like, like you said, like, oh, I tweet about this all the time, <laughs> you know, like it's part of my social media. I don't want to say persona, but I also don't not want to say persona, you know, <laughs> so um, I haven't done any writing on that, but it's definitely something I would be interested in. It's definitely something I think about a lot. Um, I wouldn't feel that confident in writing about it yet. Um, but, you know, mm -hmm. in the future, definitely. Yeah, you have kind of, there's like a wholesome onlineness to your feed <laughs> where it's just like you're getting, you're touching grass and then you're, you're showing us all the grass that you're touching. You're taking pictures <laughs> of right. it. You can hold a phone in one hand and touch grass. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know? We are multifaceted beings. We can do all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that might actually, I'll save this for a second and kind of ask the same question to you, Kian, as well of, of, are there games that come to mind that kind of illustrate more of, of what you're talking about in The Last of Us, of kind of the natural world being something that isn't just purely setting and backdrop or antagonist um, that to you kind of has that same kind of feeling of capturing the idea of a, a natural world that lives fully capable, fully capably, I guess, uh, without human involvement. Um, you know, it might come across as a strange example because it's not necessarily the natural world in in that like you know lakes and trees and mountains and that sort of thing but i actually think that in a very different um almost opposite way that still kind of serves a similar point um near automata is really good at it um i don't know if people say automata or automata i've always said automata um yeah but i think in in that game in a again like you know to an extent it could be considered opposite but i think that it's actually fairly similar at least as the argument kind of pertains to clickers in the last of us 2 um in that 
there is like next to no difference in many ways between the um, androids and the machines. Um, they both inhabit like a post-apocalyptic world that like, you know, has been, you know, sort of ravaged by some mysterious cataclysm that we never get, you know, proper clarification on. Um, but in that game as well, like I think that it's it, it is one of the like best games I've ever seen in terms of depicting how sort of quiet and lonely the apocalypse is, um, as opposed to like you know a lot of games let lean more towards sort of cyberpunk or conventionally sort of dystopian aesthetics for their apocalypse or whatever. Um, and I think that Nier Automata in particular has like some of these like amazing set pieces that show how sort of gorgeous the world is even after it has been destroyed but you know you that kind of still incorporates a lot of um like you know kind of man-made structures and stuff like that um there'll be like burnt out machinery and like you know massive buildings that are decaying but to the extent that actually like decaying buildings i think in a lot of these games often look like they were always supposed to be part of the landscape because they've sort of been assimilated into it um but yeah, like it, it is an opposite thing in that, like you know, it's instead of having these humanoid creatures start to resemble, like you know, fungus or plants or whatever, they have like you know, actual emphatically, like machines, machinery that accomplish in my mind a very similar thing. Although it comes from a, it comes at it from a different angle, and that that's more sort of philosophical and stuff, but. I think that that's a really interesting game to consider in a similar light, um, especially as because my piece was on sort of violence and the direction of violence as well, and I think that, that that's a really interesting theme to look at in Nier Automata. I think that handles it especially well. Yeah, I mean, it's I think both share the idea of it's the unsettling idea that you can also get from watching I don't know, you can watch a planet earth or something and, and see what goes on in these caves that we can barely get a camera into and think of a world that functions just fine without us you know with with no need for us whatsoever um it's like you hear people talk sometimes about well it feels like the end of the world but it's not necessarily it's it's the end of our world maybe but it's not necessarily the end of the world for the uh life that will continue to live beyond us you know um which is sort of i think terrifying on a like cellular level for a person to consider the end of humanity and us just being kind of one one little aspect of it but is maybe something as well that that kind of that's definitely something i thought about with automata you know the idea that these you know, and then there's a lot of stuff in that game as well that is about the relationship of something we created uh, to us and, and modeling certain behaviors and et cetera, et cetera. But the idea of like, oh yeah, this is maybe, maybe the world does fine in its own respects once, uh, once we're gone as well. It's also interesting how it goes further than The Last of Us where it, like spoilers for Nier Automata where, but where it ends with you just deleting yourself where it's like asking you to destroy <laughs> yourself. It's just like, well, like, are you going to keep struggling or are you just going to like <laughs> check, you know, turn off the, the, the computer essentially and like end the simulation. 
there's like a way for it, it there's an interesting final chapter like theme to it that is really i mean explicit and also like like even darker and even but but in some ways more like honest and more like uh, uh of an interesting uh takeaway yeah can I give another answer? Because I realized what I should have said. Please. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, I can't believe I forgot this because it's my favorite game. But Outer Wilds is the mm. answer to my question. To your question. Good answer. Um, the way that uh, all of those different planets have, um, you know, their own ecosystem. I mean, it's not so much an ecosystem as it is like a physics or like a sort of, yeah, I guess physics, weather, that kind of thing. Um but it feels very hostile and it feels very much like the sort of experience of playing that game is interacting with the solar system um and the solar system does not care about you at all <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah that's um that's my answer that's a, yeah that's a you good one you, you didn't feel cared for on the planet that's just <laughs> ocean in a storm constantly <laughs> i mean i did i did insofar as i felt like the game developers cared about this sort of thing that i was talking about so that yeah. was nice <laughs> yeah, but yeah no, no um uh, my character no definitely not <laughs> yeah that that is uh speaking of existential terror mm, yeah that's <laughs> that what made one. me think about it <laughs> yeah just feel like you're drowning all the time in that thing it's horrifying there is something about like yeah like these games that that are up that give you the the experience that we want is all are also games that are like engaging in existential terror like you can't have yeah. an appreciation of nature without also recognizing <laughs> your frailty within it yeah, yeah. definitely um so one thing I kind of wanted to touch on here as we wrap things up a little bit is when we were talking about and I think this is really interesting, Jay, when you're saying that, like, yeah, you, there isn't necessarily this stark divide between being online and, and touching grass, you know, that you yeah. can you can do these things and, like, you can tweet stuff and make a living by sitting and typing at a computer and also be outside we're we're not it's not one or the other yeah uh luckily um (laughs) and it makes me think too about when we're talking about all these things and i guess it's a it's a little bit of uh actually there was a piece i read and I, i should find it to link in here by Melindy Hetfeld that was about living through difficult times and being like writing and specifically like writing about pop culture and stuff too when things happen that you know I think we all and I think this is kind of the defining uh maybe zeitgeist right now is sort of a low thrum of just like unresolvable worry about a lot of different things which not to be a complete fucking bummer here but like (laughs) when we're kind of talking about climate and nature you know this part of i i guess will show all our cards here that sometimes we want to talk about like climate change and everything as well and that's part of the the reason for focusing on this stuff and i wonder if and this is a big question so if you have 
just a scrap of an answer and feel like it's incomplete, I think that's completely fine. If either of you, and maybe because I caught Jay off guard last time, I'll catch uh, <laughs> I'll catch Keenan off guard this time instead and say, do you think that there's sort of a utility in a certain sense of of things like video games engaging with the subject in in whatever respect even if it's you know you could have a game that's very clearly saying this is about climate change or you could have a game that say in the ways that assassin's creed or last of us part two kind of just show you these things and get it in your head and, and make you think of it do you think there's actual like are we moving the needle on on things like culturally or is it just kind of like just another setting just another kind of thing to stick in heads i don't know it's, it's a big kind of blurry question and, and so if yeah if you just have a partial blurry answer i think that's completely fine is this question for me or jay i'm gonna i'm gonna make you go first because <laughs> i feel bad about blindsiding jay before um it's your turn to be blindsided. <laughs> I mean, right. I mean, you know, obviously some games engage with it more explicitly um, in various different ways. Um, some of them are like, you know, there's a game coming out next month called Ending Extinction is Forever. And I believe that's about um, you play as like a family of foxes and it's talking about like, you know, kind of animals on the verge of extinction in a, in a very human modern world. Um and you know, obviously, that is like Extinction is Forever is in is in the title of the game. So obviously, that's going to be much more kind of open and brazen about the subject that it is grappling with. Um, you've also got like you know mm -hmm. games that come out before, like Bee Simulator and stuff like that. Like you know, drawing attention to how vital it is to preserve bee populations in a world where they were you know drastically deteriorating, and a significant number of people didn't even know about that. Um, but also, like you know, when you look at stuff like you know. The Last Was Part 2, which was what I covered for the piece that I'm on this podcast for in the first place. With games like that, I think that, like, when you consider something like Intentional Fallacy, I think that there is still a very clear framework in that game to use to make points and, you know, to make observations about even if things were not necessarily intended. Like, I, I remember when we were on the podcast for The Last Was Month, um, I remember I was asked a question about whether or not I thought the game was an intentional critique of eco-fascism and now like you know what like I think two years later I still have the same answer in that I think you know it, it doesn't necessarily um, matter what mm -hmm. some developer at Naughty Dog thought when you know whether or not they did make that critique because they're never going to tell us either way what matters is that we can observe the game as if they did and as if they didn't and like you know like it nobody has to say i did this thing for us to you know be able to engage with it in that way um especially when when you know there are like you know as demonstrated by our entire conversation today we can engage with things in, in these ways regardless of intent a lot of the time um what i will say is that you know i think there is a very clear kind of through line with certain games um that definitely shows how sort of untethered capitalism um, can, you know, obviously contributes massively to climate change. I think uh, Death Stranding is a, is a really, really good one for that, um, about how, like, you know, you've got this desolate, as you said earlier on, this, like, kind of Icelandic US 
um, where you know it's kind of the only things that still exist there are like you know obviously these like razor sharp like monumental bridges facilities that are like you know hubristic testaments to late capitalism that have survived the majority of people um, and I think that that's a that, that's very conscious I think um, mm-hmm. and I think that like you know so much of the game is sort of directly juxtaposes things like um, like capitalist rhetoric or not necessarily explicit capitalist rhetoric but stuff like a lot of the language is very bureaucratic um, and imprecise and I think that that is intentional um, because it shows that in this like post-apocalyptic dilapidated world it is still very much um, you know the, the capitalism that doomed the world is still there and I think that that is that is a very very explicit critique on you know the, the dangers we're facing in regards to the climate uh, I, I, as far as I'm concerned um, mm. I think that other games are pretty good at doing it as well and you know Cyberpunk 2077 is a little bit more open about it as well you've got like you know this like very conventional um, like you know urban dystopia and then like just outside you have these hell scorched badlands that have been you know absolutely ravaged by climate disaster and I think that that shows two very different apocalypses next to one another that kind of had the same route um, and then yeah I don't know beyond that I mean th- I, I think that there's, there might be a little bit less to say about it with the, the last of us because again I don't, I don't think it's as intentional as it, as it is in some of these other games um, and like I will say as well that there are like you know I'm not saying that these games should be you know um, unanimously celebrated without like you know questioning them because they contain these things I'm just pointing out that they do contain these right. things right yeah yeah um, I'm not. I'm not even saying whether or not they do them well. I think Death Stranding does it really well, um, for what it's worth. But yeah, I mean, like ultimately, I, don't, I, I Yeah, again, I, I don't know how much it really matters if if they mean to or not. Provided that we can actually derive some meaning from them, from observing them through that lens. Um, yeah, if that made yeah, any no, sense whatsoever. That's... Um, I'm, I'm not even no, I'm not even aware of how I started that answer to be honest <laughs> I think um, I think I kind that of is uh, I feel I feel like it no I, th- I think that's completely fair and I I also as you were talking I was like if someone posed that question to me that's a that's a mean question it's too, <laughs> it's too indefinite and I, I guess part of my thinking too is I didn't want to lead either of you into something it's just more so you know, posing the same question to Jay here. I think it's it's more so, I guess, how do you think about the role of of, of games that, that kind of foreground uh, our relationship to the natural world in terms of, you know, in the really utilitarian idea of, like, are these kind of moving the needle? Are they affecting uh, audiences much? Are they kind of, you know... Like, I, I kind of know what I think about that, but again, just, like, kind of posing, <laughs> posing that question to you and, and just curious yeah. your thoughts on it. Um, so I'm going to start pessimistic and then hopefully bring this answer around. <laughs> um, I don't think that they move the needle to answer that part of the question. Um, but I think they matter anyway. Like... I think a lot of things matter to me that don't move the needle on these kinds of questions and all of the different problems that we're facing. 
And I think I have to believe that other things matter because otherwise it would just be too depressing, right? Because I don't know at this point what does move the needle, right? Um, which is, which is a stressful thing to think about. <laughs> hmm. But to me, it's still really important to, to interact with nature. And I mean that in both the physical and the digital sense. Like I said, those two things really overlap for me. Um, I don't think that they are, I mean, obviously they're different things, but I don't think, but they're, they're both important to me in their own way. Um, so I think things like that can be important without being like the solution to all of our problems, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, like you said, I think that's a fragment of an answer, but that's the fragment that I have right now. <laughs> that I think is also completely fair. I'm essentially asking, does art matter? Which is a, a fucked up thing to ask someone. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> well, if you put it that way, I'm going to say yes, I guess. <laughs> I guess it's like, yeah, the, you're on the Titanic and it's sinking. Should you draw a beautiful picture? And, you know, and then it's... What else uh, are you going to do? I mean, that's where I'm at at this point. <laughs> I think, yes, that's, I think that's where I stand on it as well. Sorry for leading you both into choppy water. <laughs> uh, Yusuf said I had to ask that question, though, because he said we're going to shut down bullet points yeah. if it doesn't uh, immediately decrease uh, deforestation like by a, a full digit percentage within the next I'm, uh, I'm, quarter. I'm very optimistic. We, I think we can do this. I'm sending this MP3 yeah. to Congress. We're going to make some moves. <laughs> Bullet points at the vanguard. Uh, but I do think, like, I, yeah, to echo stuff, like, yes, like, is art going to, like, enact policy? No. But, like I mentioned earlier, like, yeah, environmentalism is this weird thing that exists in our periphery. Like, you know, it's always getting worse. It's often unremarked upon. So even just, like, the act of, of I think, speaking about it about um and and interpreting it in the art that we consume like a lot, a lot of these games are not explicitly like as kian said are not explicitly about climate change or environmentalism but uh even but being being able to dive into it and actually um come at it from that angle and, and and help it to bolster our own thinking about the subject and to bring it more just out there to get it on people's minds i think is worthwhile and i think it's definitely like my intention in in in, in collecting the art the articles for this theme is just like it's so easy to let it lie by the wayside and mm -hmm. simply dredging it up and kind of and in shining a spotlight on it as as small as our spotlight is feels to me like a worthwhile thing to do so you know beyond that can we can we measure it probably not but I, I, I'm glad that we're talking about it and I'm glad that it's like that, that, and, and I think games being able to like use the medium of games, which are so often concerned with dystopias and with like, as we've discovered existential, um, like, uh, questions about humanity's future. Like, I think it actually fits really well. And I, I think, uh, our discussion today has really proven that. I hope so. Who knows? 
knows? It's all... I said it did. Okay, sorry. <laughs> then you do know. I mean, it's all... Yeah. If you look at the a lot of the messes we're in, and you look at th- this one uh, specific mess, which is sort of an all-encompassing mess and has its tendrils and lots of other messes... Um, but it's ideological as well, right? I think there's there's a not going to blow anyone's mind by by highlighting the fact that our uh, our understanding of our relationship to the earth and especially like you know uh, the industrial West, I think, has a lot to answer for as well. Uh, it's it's ideology, right? It's thinking about how we relate to the world. So hopefully. Yeah, the idea is maybe also art and appreciating different things about art can can shift viewpoints a little bit or even just make you spot something. I don't know. Yusuf knows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't listen to Reed, listen to me. <laughs> That's right. Um, was there anything else we wanted to get to? I feel like this is both has covered a lot of ground and also there's a lot of ground to cover still and i feel that way probably every time we discuss larger subjects so i don't know is there anything any of you wanted to add well that's unanimous (laughs) (laughs) um everyone's just in like an existential funk right now (laughs) (laughs) that's great it's a beautiful day here too and it's just Mm -hmm. It's sunny and nice outside, and it just got a little darker inside. <laughs> um, yeah, so, Jay, where can, where can people find you? And is there, I think as freelancers, maybe it's good to say, is there anything you've, you've published recently that you want to give a shout-out to and, and point people toward? Uh, yeah, um, so you can find me on Twitter at jmcastello, J-A-Y-M-C-A-S-T-L-L-O. I think that was right <laughs> um yeah uh and i just had a piece published today at the verge um about camaraderie which is a uh cooperative democratic fundraising platform so you know connected to kind of the anti-capitalist <laughs> stuff that we were talking about uh, it was a really fun piece to work on um big fan of what they're doing over there so it was nice to talk to them a little bit about their um goals and you know what they're what they're aiming to do um yeah i think that's everything cool um kim uh yeah um you can get me on twitter at kimmer zero it is c-i-a-n-m-a-h-e-r zero and uh i also published something with the verge recently just yesterday um i believe jay and i were actually part of the same special issue um (laughs) <laughs> which is on like you know how uh, creators are getting paid online in kind of more unique ways these days um and mine i spoke to a couple of blacksmiths and um, about how they're using the internet to kind of resurrect interest in you know viking smithing and period techniques and stuff like that um which was a really fun piece to do yeah those are both cool i i saw both of those and opened them and then they're they're living on my browser tabs right now and <laughs> I, I, I think I must have yeah, tabs like... open for stuff I wanted to read that I thought was cool. And I closed all of them before <laughs> this podcast, but like yeah, I'm gonna have to reopen them. I think that that, that 
That's why I have a pocket, like, with 50 articles saved in it at all times. Oh, <laughs> like, I, I still, I, I'm just seeing at the top right of my browser now, like, I still have the pocket extension installed, but I stopped using it because I was putting way too much in there. Um, <laughs> it actually became impossible to find anything. Um, so yeah, you're no. the George Costanza wallet size pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone back to just like you know sixty tabs at a time, or like you know four different windows, or whatever kind of chaotic way there is to kind of you know. I think I, I think yourself. like uh, my browsers are now like you know oppressive by design, and that like there's like literally like twenty tabs screaming at me because it's the only way that I'll actually read everything. Um, <laughs> like it, I used to, yeah, 100%. I used to try to like make notes or like I, as I said, I used to use Pocket and I just like I'd, like there'd be stuff that I'd be like really like you know not even that interested in and like you know I'd be like oh yeah yeah ten Wikipedia pages into the Pocket on top of like all these articles I want to read. <laughs> it's just oh yeah <laughs> happens. Well, I hope that both of your pockets are filled with bullet points articles. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> just. Stuff to the gills with them. Um, that's cool. Um, Yusuf, do you wanna do you wanna shout out anything or just say your Twitter? Um, yeah, just follow me on Twitter at yumiyu uh, and um, yeah, just read. Make sure to read everybody's articles this month and every month at Bullet Points Monthly. Yeah, do it. Uh, I was gonna say too. I guess I should do the the promo stuff and try to do it quickly bullet points blah 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 readers supported blah 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 <laughs> uh bullet points is in, we're independent which means we don't even have ads except for the hidden ones that i've subliminally <laughs> messaged throughout this entire episode which is why you're so thirsty for gator um but uh uh, yeah, we, we are entirely funded by our Patreon. So if you want to help us continue doing what we're doing and uh, keep it so we don't have to read, like, was it Blue Chew? Is that the Viagra alternative? We'll have to start doing ads for that. And nobody wants that. Um, oh, God, that's not just regular our... chewing gum? Uh, no. <laughs> that would be that would be the, the bit we would do in the ad that we re-air every episode <laughs> Every five minutes throughout the episode, it'd be use of going. It's not just regular chewing gum. Oh no. Um, anyway, so go to Patreon.com/slash/bullet-points uh, because you d- you deserve tangible returns on your investment in our in our uh, fast-growing conglomeration. You get uh, access to the Superculture Discord, so you can, uh, which also includes uh, Bad End and Heterotopias and Funland and uh, us so you can talk to a bunch of other people there it's a very good community it's like what if Twitter was just people who weren't assholes um, and uh, and then you also get some podcasts that we're doing and right now uh, Ed Smith and I are doing Violent Shapes which is uh, about the games of Remedy Entertainment so you can get to that I don't know Yusuf what am I forgetting I think you're good. I think we're good. My cat's trying to jump up on the mic, so we should probably wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yusuf's cat is hungry because he can't afford to feed the cat anymore <laughs> because we're not pulling in enough money. So yeah, go do that and yeah, check out past issues and uh, the next issue. I guess by the time this comes up, we'll almost be on Death Stranding. Uh, first time we're revisiting the game, so stay tuned for that. And stay tuned. Also, we're going to do a part two of this as well uh, and talk to John Bales and Autumn Wright about their pieces as well um, that have gone up on the site for this month on the environment. That's it, I think. Thanks for joining Until... us, Kian and Jay. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having, having us. us. All right, take care. Bye.